to the Huntley Baptist Church podcast. We hope that this message can be an encouragement to you today. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist at extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com. From time to time, somebody clever sort of tries to gently pressure me into making more clever sermons, and I'm never very uh, amenable to that. Because what I always say is, it's the basics, it's the simple things that changed my life that bring transformation to people and to society. So when you hear me speak, I always like to talk about basic things. So you can imagine when somebody announced, we're going to have a series on back to basics, well, that floated my boat, didn't it? We've had a few talks by different speakers about basic things of basic Christianity. And then last week, we had a doozy. Who was here when Kahui came? Kahui was an excellent person. I don't know if anybody tipped him off what we're doing, but he came along here and he says, look, he says, it's all about transformation. I want to see transformation. Yep, that's basics for me. I want to see transformation. He says, we, the Bible says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And he said, I'm going to tell you five things today that you can use to make sure that transformation comes. Well, no, actually, there's only four. And he started telling, oh, actually, there's only three, he said. So, Can anybody here remember what the three were? Can you remember? Prayer was one and the other one. Another one? Read the Bible and? And fellowship. Now, just just to prove I am. So he actually put them in that that order just so I can show I I can be clever too and remember things. So he he mentioned the Bible first. And then he said pray and he said fellowship. So I'm going to talk a bit about these things. So let's have a think about um, the Bible. Now, the Bible is a book of instructions, and they only work if we do them, aren't they? Doesn't it? So what Kahu said is you can just read a little bit about the Bible. You can just read a little bit of Bible. It'll start to change your life right away. And that is true, isn't it? You can read what I'll call, I'm going to use the word snippet in my talk today. Snippet means a little piece we pull out of the Bible. So one day you're reading through the book of Proverbs, and it says, a soft answer turns away wrath, but harsh words stir up anger. You go, oh, okay, I'm going to remember that. That might change my life. And the next time the family's having a ding-dong and you're yelling and cussing with everybody else, suddenly it drops into your mind. Hang on, whoops. And so you quieten down a bit, you stop yelling, and you start thinking, and you start answering gently, and you leave out all those naughty words that just rev people up, and you start to see there's a change there, that the wrath and the anger in the situation begins to go. That little one sentence changes the way your family works, because from now on, you can just use soft, gentle words, and you take the sting out of it. Every prison officer has taught this. Every school teacher has taught this. But we're only human, and not all of them are very good at remembering it. Luana's specialty is de-escalation, and a lot of it is that, isn't it? One little snippet from the Bible can change your life. But there are other reasons we read the Bible too. One is, I believe, to learn to hear the voice of God. If you read the voice If you read the Bible through, you get used to sorts of things. What does God say? What does his voice sound like? What are his ideas? So you're in public and somebody puts you down publicly and a voice in your head says, make her pay for that. You give her some cheek and make her bummed out in front of all her friends. But then you go, hang on a minute, that doesn't sound like the voice of God that I read in the Bible. Perhaps that voice is from somewhere else. Is this ringing a bell? So if you read the Bible, you get to know the sort of things that God says, and you also get to know when something doesn't ring quite right. Another reason to read the Bible 
is it will help you to dispel nutty ideas. All right? Now, William Tyndale is walking down the road, and he meets a young couple who are weeping, weeping right from the heart. And he says, what is wrong? They say, our baby has died. And the priest told us that if a baby dies before he's baptized, then his spirit becomes one of the fireflies that flies around at night. Those are all the babies who weren't baptized. And William Tyndale gets an anger in his heart. He says, this is not right. He says, if people had the Bible, if people could read the Bible, they would know that this is not right. And the priest couldn't manipulate them in this way. So William William Tyndale makes it his life's mission to translate the Bible into the English language so that ordinary people can read it. By the way, that's why Christians have always been the drivers of education, because if people can read, they can read the Bible. And so William Tyndale pays with his life. The powerful people who didn't want people to read the Bible actually killed him. They burned him alive. He paid with his life for you and me to have a Bible that we can read. You see... There are all sorts of nutty ideas out there. There's an idea taught by churches that we're meant to pray to Mary. But if you read the Bible, you'll find that's not true. There's an idea out there, a teaching of the church, official, that Mary was a virgin before, during, and ever after Jesus was born. Now, this is a, this is a, a strong teaching in the church, and, it, and I think it's behind a lot of the goofy, stupid teaching on sexuality. You know, this whole idea that sexuality is dirty and so on. It's not. God planned sexuality to get people to glue themselves together, stay partners for life and raise families. All right, let's be blunt. And where does all this crazy stuff come from? Mary was not a virgin forever. Jesus had four, at least four brothers and at least two sisters. We know that. There's a belief that the spirit is good and the body is bad. That doesn't come from Christianity. That comes from Greek philosophy. And so many modern problems. Girls are killing themselves, literally because they're so ashamed of their bodies. They hate their bodies. A survey in England is utterly shocking. Most young girls in England now have restricted themselves from going out or doing activities because they're ashamed of their bodies. It's bad teaching. And you can read the Bible, and it says this, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You see, the Bible rescues us from these stupid ideas. Mark mentioned an idea called part-time ministry. And he says, now hang on a minute, ministry means service to God, doesn't it? How could we do that part-time? What are we going to do the rest of the time? Get drunk and fight? Duh. See, part-time ministry is ridiculous. But you read the Bible and you realize we're all in. We serve Jesus, that's it. Another reason to read the Bible is you can get some balance. Because sometimes you'll read a snippet, like Jesus said, if you want to follow me, you have to hate your mother. You go, whoa, okay. But no, if you know the whole Bible... The whole Bible, you'll put that in context, won't you? You balance it up with the rest. And that's why I really encourage you. Uh, Kahui's right. You can read one little bit of the Bible and it's great. But try, please, to read the whole thing. Not at once. Oh, you can, everyone. Why not? Gee, softy. Okay. I, 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 had, a, I had a story. This, this is an experience of mine. I sat down in a local home and the father and the mother uh, were three kids. And he told me what was happening. He was employed as a church pastor. They paid him $20 an hour. And out of that, he had to pay his own petrol money, which was $80 a week. The rent was $2,000 behind. There was not much food, and the power was way, way behind as well and could be disconnected. So we unpacked this thing, 
And we looked at this whole idea of tithing. He says, look, we have to tithe to our church. Otherwise, God will withdraw his hand of blessing from our family. Where did that come from? I said, could you consider the petrol money as your tithe? Oh, no, it has to be money. If you read the Bible, it says this. It's talking about religious leaders. They tie up heavy, burdensome loads and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. You see, I'll tell you straight up, I've read the Bible from beginning to end, time after time. I've read that there's lots in there about wages. There's lots in there about tithing, but that never, ever is the slightest suggestion that people would tithe wages. Challenge me if you like, but go and check it out for yourself. You see, if we know our Bible, we're safe from manipulation. To me, that story is almost up there with the crazy fireflies one. Well, the next one was pray. We're going to talk more about that later. But I'll quickly touch on fellowship. My friend Deborah Rogers used to say when, when kids became Christians, she said, you know, when you're going to be a Christian, you pray, you read your Bible, but the most important thing is to hang with other Christians, she said. Because if you hang with Christians, you will pray. You will read your Bible because it's normal. I often say to people in this town, all through the week, you're dealing with sort of crazy life. You know, people fight, people manipulating, people are trying to score off each other. And by the end of the week, you're going, am I the mad one? So you come to church. And when you go to church, you go, no, no, I'm not crazy. It is possible to live in a way that pleases God. It is possible to be serene and secure. I like church. I think it's good for you. And I read an interesting um, article by a left, or, or I should just read from Hebrews 10 since I'm going on about the Bible. Hebrews 10 says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. I read, it, read an interesting article by a left-wing American writer, not a Christian at all, and he said this, when people leave church, people think that they've left their Christian faith, but they haven't. They've still got their Christian faith. But without the church, it can start to go off in strange, weird, and extreme directions. Now, remember, this writer isn't a Christian. He said, but as long as they're going to church, you learn to mix with people who have different ideas from you and are different from you and get along with them. But if you leave the church and go to Google instead, you're living in an echo chamber. You'll hear what you want to hear. You'll hear from people just like you. And in the end, you'll start to get pulled way off into weird land. What's that? Stay in the room. Yes, Murray, that was so much about that, wasn't it? Anyway, the topic of today, whether you guessed it or not, is actually prayer. And it's been a big topic this year. You know, we had a, a four-week series on the prayers of Jesus in this church here. And across the, way, across the river there at Trinity Church, they had a whole month of, of messages on prayer. And uh, today I'm going to read about uh, from Matthew chapter 6, prayer and giving alms. Now, giving alms doesn't mean you cut your arm off, all right? So what it means is you're helping people out. Give a bit of money to someone who needs it, a bit of food, help people out. Is that a good way of saying alms? A-L-M-S. And strangely enough, the last time I taught on this in this building was actually April. And I'm beginning to wonder, perhaps God is really calling us to prayer. I wonder, perhaps he is. We're going to read from Matthew 6. It says this, Be careful not to perform your righteous acts, your good deeds, before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. And you know what? That's how we roll. We're different to others. If you watch Telethon, is Telethon still a thing? No, but do you remember? I'm way out of date. I don't watch this stuff. 
But they, there would be some things like that when they say, and now so-and-so has given us $1,000. Yay! Oh, look, and we've just had another. We've just had another. Don't, does that still happen, that sort of thing? It doesn't happen. Nobody ever makes a trumpet about making donations these days. Radio Rima does? Okay. All right, right yeah, Rose? Okay, so, so there we are. Now, we don't roll like that here, okay? And this, we're different to that. We have this thing called the offering bag. Did you see it? Yeah, it came around. Okay, so it's this bag. And somebody goes like this into the offering bag. What did they put in there? Two $100 notes? A lolly wrapper? You have no idea. And what about the people who didn't put anything in the bag? What did they play to the church last week? Nothing at all? 5000 bucks? You have no idea, have you? And that's the way we roll. On two occasions, Aucklanders have come to this church and said, look, I know there's lots of needs in this town. Can you take this $1,000 and just use it to help people? Now, I know who one of the Aucklanders was, but the other one simply knocked on the door of the house next door. No idea who he was. For 30 years in this church, we've had cash and Bibles and bags. We've had money put into accounts and people don't even know where it came from. We get this. So when you give to the needy, do not sound a trumpet before you. Now, I've put some yellow bits on this. So when you give to the needy. Jesus knows it's going to happen. He's not saying, please give to the needy. He says, you're going to do it, aren't you? Of course you are. So do not sound a trumpet before you. And I explained in April, this isn't da, 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 as far as I can figure. No one actually really blew a trumpet. But he's meaning, don't, don't draw attention to yourself. Don't make a fuss. As the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets. What were the hypocrites? They were actors. The word hypocrite means an actor. They're just putting on an act. I am now going to give $1,000 to the... Okay? That's an act. That's a hypocrite. Don't do that. Truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Now, there's a snippet. Be careful. Don't get it wrong. I carry the food bank parcels in both hands because there's so much groceries in them, I'm afraid the handles will rip off. You're going to say, oh, Jeremy, your left hand knows what your right hand's doing. No, it doesn't mean that, okay? But what happens is when I go out to that home and say, somebody has given you these groceries, the people in the house have no idea who gave the groceries, and neither do I. And when you give the groceries, you've got no idea who gets them. And that's how it's going to be, because I ain't going to tell you. All right, that's what it means. So as a church, we've got some people giving. We've got some people giving that stuff out. But we don't know who's what, do we? We give quiet help. One local family just lost their dad, and their dog needed a life-saving operation. And so this church put in money to save the dog's life because I said, look, your dad's just gone. It's no time to lose your dog, kids. Four children. And so the dog got a life-saving operation, and the mother got money from this church to buy petrol to go to her church in Hamilton. And she has no idea who the money came from, and neither do you, because I'm not going to tell you, except it was from a woman who loves dogs. <laughs> so it was kind of nice. All right? So that your giving may be done in secret. And your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. We're going to study something now called the Lord's Prayer. Somebody said that's not a very good name for it. It should be called the Disciples' Prayer because actually Jesus was teaching us how to pray. Fair enough. 
I suppose so. Kahui said, if you have a relationship with someone, you have to talk to them. You talk to your husband or wife, don't you? Well, you need to talk to God too, don't you, to build the relationship. And you know what? Kahui is right. That's the reason we talk to people to build a relationship. But as for how to talk to God, that's not as helpful perhaps as it could be. Because when we come in and we talk to our spouse, hi, how was your day? How'd you get on at the dentist? Oh boy, I got caught in a great big traffic jam down by Topuri there, those roadworks. All right, we don't talk like that to God, do we? So we talk to God because we want to build a relationship, but sometimes we need a little bit more guidance. How do we talk to God? It's not quite like our family, is it? So in the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples' Prayer, Jesus tells us a little bit about what prayer is not and about what prayer is. This is what he says. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, actors, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Truly, I tell you, they already have their full reward. But when you pray, go into your inner room, shut your door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. And your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. That's the snippet. If we just look at that, what does it mean? Does it mean we only pray on our own in a room? Does it mean we shouldn't meet together to pray? No, it does not. We should meet together to pray because in Acts chapter 4 it says this, When the believers heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, enable your servants to speak your word with complete boldness as you stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You see, once again, it's the motivation, isn't it? They weren't praying to show off. They weren't praying to be seen. God actually likes it when we meet together to pray. In fact, we do it here. There's a prayer meeting Thursday night. Jesus didn't even really have a house. He didn't have a room and he didn't have a door. He didn't own them. And Jesus prayed in public. So we need to balance the snippet up against the other things that we know. And the Bible says, after they had prayed, their meeting place was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly, which I take to mean that prayer meeting was quite a good idea. Let's get back to Jesus' sermon. And when you pray, do not babble on like pagans, for they think that by their many words they will be heard. I looked up the Merriam-Webster dictionary, and this is what I found is the meaning of the word incantation. A use of spells or verbal charms spoken or sung as part of a ritual of magic. Also, a written or recited formula of words designed to produce a particular effect. Sometimes we learn sets of words, don't we, because there's meant to be power in the words. Listen to what Te Aka Māori Dictionary says about the word karakia. A karakia is an incantation, a ritual chant, an intoned incantation, charm, spell, a set form of words to state or make effective an activity, a ritual activity. Traditionally, correct delivery of the karakia was essential. Mispronunciation, hesitation, or omissions courted disaster. A Christian prayer is not an incantation. 
and it is not a karakia. And when you pray, do not babble on like pagans, for they think that by their many words they will be heard. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. So then, this is how you should pray. Enoi, not karakia. I'm going, I'm going to put two translations of the Lord's Prayer up there, or the Disciples' Prayer up today, because each translation, I believe, has its own strength, and it has something we can learn from. Our Father in heaven, let's look at that one. In English, it said God is our Father. But I've heard that the word Jesus used, Abba, is much more intimate than that. And it might be better to translate this as our dad in heaven, our papa, or e tomato papa itarangi. It might be better to do that. Now, the Maori language didn't really have a word for heaven. It uses rangi, which means the sky. The English translation shows us that actually heaven is not quite just the sky, is it? It's a place, a special place that's not physical in that way. The next line says, hallowed be your name. Kia tapu now, most people in this room are English speakers, but we're not sure what that word hallowed means, are we? But everybody knows what tapu means, don't does it? Everybody knows what tapu means. Sacred, special, set apart from ordinary use. So isn't that funny? The Maori translation helps English speakers more on this line. Your kingdom come. Kia tai mai to rangatiratanga. The Maori version reminds us that God's kingdom is not something on a map with lines around it, but it's the rangatiratanga of God himself. Wherever God is the great chief, his chiefly power exists. The Māori language didn't have a word at that stage for king, so God is a king. But what makes God our king is not where we happen to be on the map, but the fact that God's kingship, his rangatiratanga, his chiefship, his authority in our life, we're in his kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Kia mea tia tau e paiai on earth as it is in heaven. Ki runga ki te whenua, ki riti ano, ki tō te rangi. I don't speak Greek, but I've read that this prayer is written in an urgent tense. You see, if you might, you might say to someone, we've got a new house, you should come and see us sometime. Oh, okay, yeah, okay, that'd be good. That's not very urgent, is it? But if you ring someone up and say, our house is on fire, come now. That's urgent. I have t been told by Greek scholars that this, your kingdom come, your will be done, is like that. God, please make your kingdom come now. God, please may your will be done now. It's not an off there somewhere. It's kingdom now stuff. Like it or lump it. <laughs> yes. There's an urgency. You see, because Jesus, when he prayed this, he actually believed God's kingdom can start to come to our life right now. I believe it too. Give us this day our daily bread. O mai ki The Māori language didn't have a word for bread originally, so they used the word taro. Isn't that interesting? Polynesian bread. And forgive us our debts, murera or matauhara, as we have also forgiven our debtors. Me matau hoki e muru nei, i o te hunga e hara ana ki a matau. And lead us not into temptation. Aua hoki matau e kawea ki a whakawaia, 
but deliver us from the evil one or from evil. Nobody's quite sure whether that's meant to mean evil or the evil one himself. Engari, whakaorangi amato itikino. And then the prayer goes to a bit that doesn't appear in many or in, in lots of manuscripts. Was this part of the prayer actually mentioned by Jesus? I'm not sure, but this is what it says. For thine is the kingdom, no hoki te rangitiretanga, yours is the chiefly authority, the power, te kaha, strength, and the glory, metekororia, forever and ever, ake, 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 amen. We pray simple prayers because it's not our cleverness that counts, but it's God's goodness. It's not the power of the words, it's the power of the Lord. And there's an irony, isn't it, that if people memorize the Lord's Prayer and use it as a kind of an incantation or karakia, Our Father, our child in heaven, hello be thy name, as if, as if the words themselves have power. I don't believe it's like that. It was never meant to be. Simple people pray. Children pray. Intellectually simple people pray. If you muck up the words, it doesn't matter. If you stumble and bumble and say, um, God doesn't care to hoots, because he's looking at your heart. Murray said to me, can you talk about different types of prayer? Okay, here we go. Toru, fa. Psalm 100 says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Now, if we come to God thanking him for things and praising him, that's a pretty good way to come into God's presence, isn't it? Is it really prayer? Is thanksgiving really prayer? Well, I don't care. That can join the list of 6,000 things that Christians argue about that I can't be bothered. But, but I, I am reminded of a, a wonderful story that Jocelyn told us just a, a few months back. Do you remember that? Who was here when Jocelyn told about the, the hospital story? She's in the hospital bed. She's feeling unwell. She's feeling sick of the whole caboodle. She's feeling downhearted. And then a little thing drops into her head, and it's like God gives her a message. Praise me. You remember that, don't you, Jocelyn? It was a wonderful thing, a wonderful thing. And, of course, Jocelyn didn't feel like it, because when we're feeling grumpy, we don't want to do that. But the, the Bible's, hmm? Yes. Yes. And, and God's, God, the Bible talks about a sacrifice of praise. And if you don't feel like it, all right, I'll do it. That's the sacrifice, isn't it? And Jocelyn shared the wonderful story of how as she started to praise God, it just lifted her out of those whole those doldrums. And because our wairua and our body are so closely connected, as your wairua begins to come out of its doldrums and soar, it's going to do you good, isn't it, all over? It is. So praise and thanksgiving. You can argue about whether they're prayers or not, but there's sure something we should do. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says this, I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving. Now, you know what prayers are. It's when we ask for something. What are petitions? I don't know, to be honest, but I think it's when a whole lot of people get together and ask something together. Does anybody know any better? So if we all sign a petition and say, hey, we all agree on those. So I'm all right, then I'll shoot that one in and no one's actually told me off for it. Intercession is actually, it's a side of, sort of a prayer where you kind of identify with people you're praying for. And you get down there and you start to realize, you say, I'm really beginning to get the feeling of this. I'm starting to feel like I'm in it. And that's why we say, God, please forgive the sins of 
whatever, when they're actually not even yours. And you realize you're taking those other people's take onto you. That's intercession. And thanksgiving. Be made for all people. Now, I had an inspiration here. I thought, in Huntley, we've got, what, five, 6,000 people. I wonder if somebody's praying for all the people. I wonder if, there's some, I wonder if everybody in Huntley has someone praying for them. I wonder. And if not, I wonder what would happen if we did. If we divvied them all up. Right, you have to pray for these fellows. Mm. Yes. Yes, that's a good thing to do. That is a very good thing to do. To go to a high place, I do that myself. And go to a high place and you actually pray over something. All right? So that's right. And then it says this, for kings and all in authority. Now, having gone to about a squillion prayer meetings in my long life, I think that we probably haven't prayed for people in authority as much as we should. We do. But I think to pray for authorities and people up there is actually pretty important. That we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. Now, in Parliament, whenever a Parliament session begins, there's a prayer. And they pray this, Almighty God, we give thanks for the blessings which have been bestowed on New Zealand. Laying aside all personal interests, we pray for guidance in our deliberations that we may conduct the affairs of this house with wisdom and humility for the public welfare and peace of New Zealand. Amen. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? And they actually pray that in Parliament. There's been some controversy because that prayer used to have the name of Jesus in it, and it was pulled out a few years back. And Alfred Nuttall believes that taking the name of Jesus out of that prayer marked the beginning of quite a decline in some of those things that people were asking for. In fact, I'm going to be blunt here. I think New Zealand's in crisis. Over the last few years, our debt has tripled. Our spending, the government spending, is absolutely blown out. The number of people employed by the government has absolutely exploded by thousands. And yet the results, most people seem to agree, are not very good at all. Most of the things they're trying to do, they don't seem to have done. And there's a lot of feeling that New Zealand is perhaps more divided than ever before. So praying for the government is worth doing. Can I please ask you to do it? Can I ask us to do it? Let's look at the next one. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May those who love you be secure. Now, it's just a snippet. But if you look right through the whole Bible, you will see that God has a love for Jerusalem. And God has a love for people who love Jerusalem. He's picked that, pl that place. And he's picked that people to be special. And right now, I think Jerusalem needs our prayers particularly. There are terrible, terrible troubles going on in Israel literally hundreds of millions of people. Am I exaggerating? No, large, many millions of people have, have said that they wish to wipe Israel off the map. And when you see protesters, Palestinian protesters, using the word river to the sea, have you heard that expression? River to the sea is their way of saying, we want to wipe Israel right off the map. The nation and its people gone. Watch for that saying, river to the sea. Jerusalem needs our prayers. Let's have a look at another prayer. This is from Isaiah chapter 6. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. That's a pretty good prayer, isn't it? Pick me, pick me, pick me. And it's not what we always do. Pick him. Here I am, pick her. Listen to this. 
I want you to pick, I want you to picture this, all right? There's a lady across the road. She's a young mum. She's having trouble with her kids. You know, they're a bit unruly, and she always seems to be harassed and tired. And you get to your prayers. You say, dear Lord, please help that young mum across the road. I remember what it was like to be a young mum. Oh, boy, it was hard looking after those kids and everything, and I wish somebody had come and helped me. So, Lord, please send someone to help that lady. You know what I'm saying, don't you? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Maddie got it. <laughs> All right, please be aware that the answer to the prayer might be you. You know, and, and, and you might say, like, imagine, imagine it's me, right? I go, well, look, I'm a man. It's not quite the same for me, is it? But as Christians, we've got a lot of contacts. And one of the things I find myself saying as God prompts me, yeah, you knew the answer. I said, hey, I know a lawyer. Hey, I know a plumber. Oh, I know, I know a grandmother who's got a bit of time on her hands. I bet she could really help you. So it's not only you, but also be open to the idea that God might prompt you to put people together. You know, you say, I, I couldn't actually fix that, but I know someone who can. That's one reason of the thousands that I love being in a church. Because there's something I go, whoopsie, I don't think I can manage that, but I know who can. I know a counsellor. See? I know a lawns guy. Here's another kind of prayer. The father of Publius was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him. And after praying and placing his hands on him, he healed the man. Well, that's a good kind of prayer, isn't it? We pray, we put our hands on the people, and they get better. If you ask people, do you mind if I pray for you? In my experience, the answer is nearly always yes, but especially if they're going to get healed. Don't get religious, all right? Now, around here, one thing we do, we pray over cloths, and we pray on the cloth, and we say, take this cloth to the sick person. He's like, oh, that's a bit whack, Jeremy. No, the Bible says it. It's all right. This is kosher, all right? The Bible says they did it, and wonderful things happen. Uh, I heard about a, a place, a, a, a church where they... When they laid hands on someone, they always hovered. They didn't, never quite touched them. They always hovered their hands just a little bit off them. You go, that's a bit strange. Why do they do that? You know what the answer was? This is in the US. Where they used to meet, they were pretty poor-hearted. They didn't have any air con, and it was very hot. So instead of putting their hands on someone, which is really hot and sweaty, they just leave it off a bit. And now later on, they got rich and they got some air con, but they still kept that habit going. Did God care? He didn't care too hoots, all right? Don't get religious. <laughs> I want to tell you, pray with people, please. Pray with people who have mental problems. Pray with people who have depression. Pray with people who have anxiety. This story, you know, I, I spent probably 50 years of my life being too shy to say, can I pray for you? Now I do it at the drop of a hat. And the answer is nearly always yes, nearly always. Like, oh, I'm hard-pressed to think of one time. There's probably one time someone said no. Because it's not done arrogantly, all right? We listen to their story, and then we humbly say, hey, look, do you mind if we pray? And people, no, I'd love that. Acts chapter 6 says this, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. That's another reason we pray, isn't it? We commission people. We bring people up the front. These people are going off on a mission to Mexico. So we, we did that to you, didn't we? Yeah, we did. So we pray. Sarah going to India, whatever. So somebody's going to become a church deacon. We pray for them. This is called a commissioning prayer. 
not only people. We pray over buildings. We commend them to God's care. We pray over cars, that people will be safe in them. We pray over journeys. We pray over ships. And why not? This is a biblical way of praying. There's all kinds of ways to pray, aren't there? And I can't say them all. But this is where the boat comes in. When I was a young man, I thought it would be good, well, boy, really, I thought it would be good to sail a boat. I'd love to sail a boat. So being how, you know what I'm like, I got all these books, because no internet then, how to sail, you see, I read the books, and I looked at the diagrams, and the sail goes here, and the rudder, and I knew about, you know, a broad reach, and a, a, a running before the wind, and all this, all this stuff, how high a boat can point. And then one day, I can't remember, I can't remember my first time, but I actually got into a boat and sailed it. And you know what? It was quite intuitive. It wasn't that difficult. I didn't really need all the stuff I'd learned from the books particularly. And one of the things I learned was you can't steer a boat unless it's moving. If it's not moving, you can't steer it. <laughs> My boat didn't have bow thrusters, okay? So I want to tell you that your Christian life is like that too and your prayer life is like that too. You could say, oh, look, I don't know very much about praying. Jeremy, even those things, Jeremy, he called them simple, but they sound a bit high up there to me. Oh, rhubarb. The best way to learn about praying is to do it, all right? Just like sailing, just like riding a bike, whatever. And you can't steer anything unless it's moving. I knew a girl who stopped everything. She said, I'm just going to stop all my Christian activities and wait on God to see what he wants me to do. And her life kind of floundered. Because we were never made to stop everything and see what God wants us to do. We walk. Christianity's a walk. And as we walk, God steers us. And if we walk the wrong way and we make a boo-boo, well, so be it. Better off than sitting around doing nothing. You know, when I was, this time, a young adult man, I was a bit scared of Samoans. And I'll tell you why. They seemed to be very strict. They had protocols, you know. So you go and visit a Samoan, they open the door... Don't talk till you sit down because that's rude. All right? So they open the door. You go in, you sit down on the sofa, you talk, and then you think, am I sitting right? And did I say everything right? It's a bit scary because some ones were much bigger than me. Most people are, and they were a bit scary. But you know what happened when I actually met some Samoans and went into their homes and churches and started to interact with them? Once again, I was wrong. They were just so glad I was there. I went to churches that had never seen a palanga before ever. Got invited home to the pastor's house. I think he wanted me to marry his daughter. But I didn't, by the way. Janet's not someone. But why was I worried? And, and since then, Janet and I, we've gone all over the world. We've met all sorts of people from all sorts of cultures. And people look past those little faux pas, don't they? Those little boo-boos. They're just so happy you're there at all. They're happy that you're moving across, building the bridge. I don't even know what I've got away with on the local marae. But, I mean, I'm sincere, I'm respectful, but if I make a slip up, well, I'm glad I'm there and they're glad I'm there, right? I want to tell you, God is like that. If you're going to pray, God's not saying, Jocelyn, that wasn't the right word to use. Anna, why did you say um? It's God's not like that, okay? Once you jump into prayer and you start to pray and you start to pray for people and you start to actually say, can I pray for you? And you do and you lay hands on it, whatever, it's going to work out all right. It's going to work out all right. Now, you know what? It's true that prayer is one of the basics of Christianity. Then it's true that prayer is a wonderful way of building bridges, praying for people. And it's true that when we pray, we might find that individually or together, we can be 
the answers to prayers. God bless you all as you pray. Can we? Now, right now, there are two things, and one was covered, wasn't it? Now, Juliet, you prayed before. Did you pray for the formation of the government? I'm just trying to remember. No. Right now, there are two issues that I'm going to ask you to bear with me and as we actually pray together, all right? Right now, a man called Christopher Luxon is actually putting a government together. He sort of knows who's going to be in it, but what are their jobs going to be? It makes a big difference to us. It's a big task. And for Christians to be praying about that right now is good. And the other one is the peace of Jerusalem. So I'm going to pray right now for those two things. God, we bring to you Christopher Luxon. We've heard rumours that he's got some knowledge of you. We don't know quite how that works, how deep it is. But we also read in our wonderful Bible that you're quite capable of working in people's hearts, whether or not they even acknowledge you. So right now, with all this business going on, with all these egos clashing as people get talking about what job is whose, we pray you'd have mercy on our new government. Help them to form in a way where the egos are put aside, where the parliamentary prayer we read is actually answered, and that pushing, putting self-interest aside, those parliamentarians can work for the good of the whole country in love and in humility. And we pray too, Lord, for this tragedy that's happening across the world in the Middle East. Those good people of Gaza who are caught up in something utterly terrifying. The people of, of Israel who are in a fight for their very existence because people want them to actually be removed from the planet. We pray, Lord, to you, knowing that only you can help. Only you can help. There's no earthly answer. There's no money or diplomacy that can work. But we cry out to you, Lord, to look after your own, to bring mercy, to give safety and security, and to give an answer to that terrible problem. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Huntley Baptist Church Podcast. We hope that it has been an encouragement to you. Please feel free to contact us at huntleybaptist@extra.co.nz or visit us at huntleybaptist.com.